let's uh, do a little bit of review, and uh, then we're going to dive into Psalm 19. I understand that my slide today said Psalm 119. Messed you up. I go to Psalm 119 to preach on the Bible so much, it just must have been a subliminal thing or something, or just a mistake. So let's not forget where we're going. We've laid some groundwork for things that we're doing. We're going to preach Christ. Amen. And we're going to become a welcoming church. And then we've got to heed the call of God on our lives. But why theology? And this is such a good analogy. Einstein said, I do not believe in the God of theology who rewards good and punishes evil. And this is theology. It's just bad theology. It's theology, but it is bad theology. Um, I heard an an analogy today, a story today, about a child going to, um, I believe it was Only Believe, and in the Sunday school class, they they put a piece of candy in a box. Each of the kids had a box. They said, close your eyes and pray, and if you'll ask Jesus, he'll double your candy. And so the kids had their eyes closed, and while their eyes were closed, the teacher put another piece of candy in each one. So they opened up their eyes to see that Jesus had done a miracle and gave them an extra piece of candy. Folks, that's bad theology. It's, it's lying. It's deceit. And it's setting those kids up for failure. Because if you teach them that Jesus is your, you know, your ATM, then when Jesus is not your ATM and you expect him to be, well, then that's, that leads to a crisis of faith in that child's life. And it really does matter what we believe. It really does matter what we teach. And it's the words of God that define who we are, what we believe, and what we teach. Every once in a while, I'll do, and it's generally on a Wednesday night, I'll do a lesson of something more obscure in the Bible or a more subjective understanding of a passage of Scripture, that kind of thing, because it's just fun. People who love the Bible compare the words, put out your theory, and but as the teacher, it's my responsibility to say, I don't know whether this is true or not. This is just fun. Uh, let me give you an example. So the Bible, let's look at it. Look at, uh, keep your place in Psalms, go to... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll give you two examples of things like this so you know what I'm talking about. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, look at verse 3. Let no man's deceive you let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, that falling away. So what is that falling away? Well, now, it won't surprise you that it's James Knox that came up with this weird idea. But he said that, think about this, wherever you are on the planet, when the rapture takes place, you're going to go to heaven, meet the Lord in the air. So that means that for some people, if they're on the bottom of the globe, they have to fall away from the globe first and somehow make their way around to Jesus on the other side. And in order to be a member of Grace Baptist Church, you have to believe that. 
Let me give you another one. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 11. I didn't buy it either. I don't think Knox bought it. I think he was messing with people. What's that? I can't hear you. The earth is flat. That's right. Okay, so Knox did send me this picture um, of a flat earth solar eclipse. Have you guys seen that? It's a circle with a bar across it for the flat earth eclipse. That's awesome. Um, Okay, so look at Genesis chapter 11. So you know that this is the Tower of Babel. So look at verse 4. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. A tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And when you see uh, a rocket ship take off, they have the different stages of the rockets. And the top is the part that makes it into outer space. So were they trying to build a rocket to go to heaven? No, but... Somebody may teach or think that's what's happening in that text. So let's say that that someone believes that they had that technology and God didn't want them to have that technology yet, so he stopped them. Is it possible that that's the case? I suppose that's possible. Now, in order to be a member of Grace Baptist Church, you must believe that that was a rocket ship that they were building at the Tower of Babel. I don't know how a rocket made out of bricks and slime is going to fly. I, I don't think that their propulsion system and their aerodynamics was going to work real well on that. Those are illustrations of silly and fun things that those of us who love the Word of God and who find the little esoteric things in the Scriptures, it's just fun to surmise about some of those things. You all know what I'm talking about. It's just um, when you look at, uh, in the book of Romans, it talks about... The, the height, the length, the depth, the width, and the breadth, right? Something like that. Four dimensions. So did they understand that they were dealing with more than three dimensions in the Scriptures? Well, obviously, God understands how many dimensions there are. Did the writer understand that? Well, I think the writers of the Bible wrote a lot of things they didn't understand. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us they wrote things they didn't understand. But God did. Is that actually talking about different dimensions? Possibly. Now, in order to be a member of Grace Baptist Church, you have to believe that these are... Do you see the difference? In order to be a member of Grace Baptist Church, you have to believe that salvation is only through the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith, without works. And you have to follow the Lord in believer's baptism from a church of like faith and practice. That's what you have to do to be a member of Grace Baptist Church. I forgot to say this. I do try to say this often on that membership conversation. Here's how you know that it is a submission problem. Because here's what church membership is. That's what it is. And it's saying, I will be a part of you. I will submit to you. Not to me. Of course, they will as pastor. The Bible tells you to submit to your pastor. But to each other. That's what we're supposed to do. To be able to hold each other accountable. That's what church membership is. It's not joining a club. It's saying, I believe in the work of the New Testament church, and I'm going to get plugged in. I'm going to do that. See, these are the things that we lay as a groundwork for membership at Grace Baptist Church, because those are the qualifications for membership in the New Testament church 
as we find in the scriptures. So now, the foundation for all of those things is the Bible. It's the Word of God. And I want us to just look at a few things that the Bible says about itself in Psalm chapter 19. Let's start reading in verse 1. And uh, maybe one of these days I'll deal with the, the science that is given in, psalm one, in, in the beginning of this psalm. Verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where their voice is not heard. Okay, so now let's look at that right there. This is pretty cool. One of the questions of skeptics is how could a loving God send people to hell who've never heard of him? This is one of the best verses that you can go to. See, God gave everyone the light of creation. Everyone lives within this creation. And again, look at what it says in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Then look at what it says. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Not every language has a Bible. Every language has creation. And God has revealed himself in that language to every people. And if they will respond, if an individual will respond to that light, God will give him the light that's required to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the teaching of the Word of God, all right? So that language they get. Now, look what the Bible says in verse 4. For their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. All right? So what God is doing in this text is he's laying the foundation for his truth. His truth doesn't begin with the written word of God. His truth begins with the creation itself. And there's information in there that we're not going to deal with tonight. But now let's look at what the Bible says in verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And I just think we all ought to memorize this section. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me thou, or cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Boy, is that a fantastic psalm. 
There is so much truth in that psalm, and we can't deal with all of it tonight, but let's look at a little bit of it. Let's look at the quality of God's words. The Bible says that there are seven things. The Bible says seven things about them. They're perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous. Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous. Those are seven characteristics of God's words. Let me give you seven things they're not. We'll just go through some of these things. The first thing is they're not hard to understand. Now, there are some sayings that are hard to understand, but the scripture is not in general hard to understand. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. Look at verse 8. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and write to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. See verse 9, they are all plain to him that understandeth, and write to him, what is it the rest of it says? That find knowledge, and write to them that find knowledge. Um, Because of our culture... We have a culture that is trying to base everything around our children. They try to base everything around our children. So here's what people want. They want a Bible that a little child can understand. They want a Bible that a little child can understand. Now, are there passages of Scripture that a child can understand? And I'm glad we teach them to our children in Awana, and they memorize so many verses through that. Who remembers how many verses they do through the whole time? Anybody remember? 480? Through the end of TNT, 480 verses. And so what happens is they get progressively more difficult and, and more truth, or probably not more truth, but, but more complex truth as they grow. But the idea, in order to produce a Bible that a child can understand, you would have to remove truth from it. Because there are some complex things that take place in Scripture that a child can't understand. The Bible is talking about adults. Adults who love God's Word and study God's Word, they will have understanding of it. I'll give you an example. Years ago... uh, 25 years ago, probably, I started trying to read the books that we have in our bookstore uh, by John T. Christian on um, Baptist history, two-volume set, and it was very difficult for me to get through it because there were a lot of words that I had never seen before, names of people and places that I was not familiar with. And so then, 10 years ago, I picked it up to refresh myself in it. It was so easy for me to read. Because I already knew most of the characters that are in it. What happened in those 10 years? I did some other reading. I had learned some things. I had grown in that. And it's so interesting. The more you read the Bible, the more you read it, what's going to happen is you'll read through a, a difficult passage. Then the next time you read it, all of a sudden it's not quite as difficult. 
And then you'll read over a familiar passage that you've read 10 times and you see something in that passage that you never saw. It's like God put something else in there. What is God doing? He is giving you truth. He's giving you understanding. Why? Because you believe it and you trust in it. That's what God does with his word. That's why we use the King James Bible. We're not trying to make it simpler. And maybe one of these days I'll do a comparison of the modern translations to show you that they are not more easy to read. They use more complicated phrasing in many places. Some places they use an easier word. Other places they use a more difficult word. That's not the issue. The issue is the underlying text and the excellence of the translation, the consistency of the translation. I'm going to be doing a message on that soon. But the reason that we use the King James Bible is because of the power of the words, the consistency of the words. And there are words that are hard to understand, but once you learn them, they're not hard to understand anymore. Isn't that right? Once you learn them, they're not hard to understand anymore. It'd be very difficult to have a Bible that communicates the Word of God and uses only simple language. So, one thing the Bible is not, God's words, they are not hard to understand for a person who's willing to do the work. And then look at 2 Corinthians 2.17. The Bible says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity... But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. God's word are not corrupt. They are corrupted by people who either take them out of context or who change them. Amen? God's words are not corrupt. And then they are not in line with man's wisdom. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Bible goes on in chapter two, verse one. And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want you to think about something. I, I spoke about theology this morning. And one of the things when you study theology, all right, so in, in my training, Patrick Kennedy there, in his training, 
we had to learn things like supralapsarianism, infralapsarianism, sublapsarianism, soteriology, that comes from the Greek word sozo, which means salvation. Hamartiology, that comes from the harmadios, the Greek word that means uh, sin. But you see, you start to get into these, this terminology, this uh, traducianism. Traducianism is when does life come into the body? Is it at uh, when the breath comes in or is it... Does the soul begin when breath starts or at conception? These are, these are concepts in theology that don't help you a bit. They don't help you at all. See, what happens in any field, they develop their own language, their terms of art. What does that do? That raises the bar for people to be able to get into the club. I think it was James Knox uh, in their Bible school, they teach um, Bible study principles. He said, we call it that because we don't charge. When you charge for the school, they call it hermeneutics. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, there's nothing wrong with the word hermeneutics. Do you need to know the term hermeneutics? No. Do you need to know how to study the Bible? Yes. So when we're studying the Bible, when we're preaching the Bible, when we're teaching the Bible, it's important that I know those things. So when I interact with people who might challenge us on those, I can, I can help you guys. I think it really is important for me to be trained in those things. And I work hard to understand those things. Most of you never need to know that stuff. You need to know every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you can understand those without understanding the terms that I was just using. So when we teach the Bible here, I try to teach it at a high enough level to challenge every person in the room, but use language that all the young people can follow and understand. That's, that's the job. Not enticing words of man's wisdom, but in simplicity of speech, in fear and in trembling. That's the way that we're supposed to communicate the word of God. So God's words, they're not hard to understand if you're willing to study them. They're not corrupt, but they are corrupted by this world. And they're not in line with man's wisdom or the wisdom of this world. And then look at Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? That means that this whole idea of, let me tell you what this passage means to me. And this is what Bible studies and home Bible studies and small groups becomes. You read a passage of scripture. Well, what does that passage mean to you? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? And the leader is not a teacher. The leader is a facilitator. And the purpose of the facilitator is simply to get people involved so that they feel comfortable and they feel like they fit in. Well, there may be a place for something like that, but it's not in Bible teaching. It, it is possible to go into a Bible study like that and leave thinking there are six possible understandings of a text of Scripture. 
because no one was corrected, because everyone was validated. That's not what the scriptures do. The scriptures validate you when you're right, and they correct you when you're wrong. Why? Because they're the authority, we are not. It's really important that we understand that no, prof- no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. A private interpretation is an interpretation that you have that nobody else does. That's a private interpretation. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to compare scripture with scripture and get our understanding of the Bible from the Bible. That's the way that we handle the word of God. And it's vital that we do that because God's words are supernatural words. One of the things that I'm going to, uh, when I do my message on the scriptures, um, I've been reading some really heavy stuff. Be so thankful that you're not reading it. It is so boring. But I've been reading some stuff about how we got our Bible. And there's this thing I've mentioned to you before. So you have textual criticism. Lower criticism is when you look at a bunch of manuscripts and you determine which manuscripts are right. And that's generally the ones that all say the same thing. Okay? That's, that's lower criticism. Higher criticism is determining whether or not it's true. So is the Bible, what is the text? Lower criticism. Higher criticism is um, did Moses really write the first five books of the Bible? What's the answer to that? Yes. Yes. Then there's source criticism. Where did Moses get his information? Who knows? Where did Moses get his information to write the first five books of the Bible? Ding, 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 ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. (laughs) Scholars don't see it that way. There has to be this other literature out there somewhere where this stuff was written down so Moses could get that information. And what that was is it was probably an oral tradition. That's what they teach. They're idiots. God gave him that information. God gave it to him. Our source is God. That's where it comes from. In the New Testament, they have all of these rules. Where did these guys get the Bible? So Mark is the oldest of the uh, books of the Bible, books of the New Testament. He wrote first. And the rest of the guys got their information from Mark. So Luke and um, John got their information from Matthew and Mark. No, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. They got it from the Holy Spirit. And here's what happened. What they said was Mark wrote so much later, and Mark wasn't actually even there. He got his information from Peter and from this source called Q. And I always wondered, where did they come up with Q? It's from a Greek word. I can't remember what the word is. That means source. I mean, a German word that means source. There's no evidence of that source anywhere in the world, but they don't believe that God gave them the Bible. We know where the Bible came from. It came from the Holy Spirit of God. That's where it came from. We believe that. And we interpret it in that way because it's a supernatural book. And one of the things that I discovered as I was doing all this research is just how faithless these scholars are. 
completely faithless. Because this book is not like any other book. It's a supernatural book inspired by God. So things they are not. They're not hard to understand. They're not corrupt. They're not in the line of man's wisdom. They're not to be interpreted apart from each other. And they are not a description of relative truths. They're not a description of relative truths. Look at John 17. You guys might know where I'm going here. If you don't, I'm very disappointed in you. Look at John 17. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word may be truth. What's it say? Thy word is truth. These are not relative truths. Well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. That's not what it is. It's true. It's true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Every word of God is true. Thy word is true from the beginning. This is absolute objective truth. Truth does exist and we have it in the word of God. And then these words, they're not pleasing or acceptable to man in his natural state. Look at John chapter 8. These words are not pleasing to man in his natural state. Folks, we're never going to be, I mentioned it the other day, uh, a few Sundays ago, we're never going to be the most popular church in town. When you tell people you must be born again, when you tell them that their church is taking them to hell, when you tell them that, that's not a popular message. It is not a popular message. But how are they going to be able to go to heaven? You must be born again. If you think your church is taking you to heaven, you're going to hell. You must be born again. The only way to get to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ, not through the ministrations of a priest. That's not a popular message in our area. The Bible's never been popular. Look at John chapter 8. Look at verse 44. Year of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. How about that? that that's, that's what God says. Interesting verse. Uh, look at the verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? See, that's what they thought of Jesus. They thought Jesus was Satan, was, was indwelt with a devil, with a demon. Is that what the Bible says? No, he's God. He's God. Why did they hate him? Because of his words. Jesus said it in, in John chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them thy words and the world hath hated them for it. If we stand for God's word, the world is not going to like that. That doesn't mean we have to be ugly, and we're going to try and be as winsome as we can this morning, notwithstanding. We're going to try and be as winsome as we can in our Sunday morning services while still preaching the truth and not watering it down. But I'm just telling you, any truth claim is offensive to someone who hates God. It's just the world that we are in. Remember, we live in a world where they think it's okay to deliver a baby and kill it. That's the world that we live in. Half the population of the United States votes for those people. That's the world that we live in. We cannot be soft on truth. 
We're going to stand rock solid on the word of God. They're not pleasing or acceptable to man in his natural state. And then I like this. These words, they are not powerless. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The reason that people leave church, the reason that people leave our brand of Christianity is because of the conviction of God's word. They want to live their own way. Some of you young people, you, you, you in this room right now, you might be wanting to go out and live like the devil and whore around and drink and have dr- take drugs and just live like the devil because the world makes you think it's good, that it's fun. It's not. It might be fun for a little while, but when you get the disease, when you get the car wreck, when you have the illegitimate child, when you fry your brain so you can't think anymore, when you commit a crime and can't get a decent job for the rest of your life, it's not good. It's not fun. The Word of God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. And if you are struggling with the conviction and the oppression of God's Word on your behavior, maybe you need to repent. Let's go back to Psalm 19. Let's finish up. I've only made it about a quarter of the way through my message, but I'm going to stop. Look at what it says in verse 7, Psalm 19 and verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Do you see that? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. In the Old Testament, it is this law that causes a man to stop in his tracks, reverse his position, and change his conduct. What the Bible does is it's supposed to change us. We don't change the Bible. The Bible changes us if we're wise. Look at the rest of the verse. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. Again, if you're a young person here and you are chafing under the authority of your parents, under the authority of the word of God, that means that you're simple, you're foolish. Allow the word of God to make you wise. Because I promise you, when you get to be old, like me, and you look back over the wreckage that people have made of their lives, and then you get to, you see and experience the peace, the joy, the happiness that comes from living a holy life, then you'll understand. I wish I could take my brain out and do the Vulcan mind meld with you so that you could understand how wonderful it is, how happy I am, how happy Laura is because we have a holy life, because we tried to do things right. Did we ever sin? <laughs> yeah. We make mistakes, yes, but not the big ones. We tried to keep things right, and life is so good. And is so happy for us now. It's wonderful. It's a blessing. That's what I want for you guys. Man, there are people in this room that could give you a testimony. Don't do it, man. Don't do that. Don't make, I made that choice. Don't make that choice. Serve God. Follow God. That siren call of the world is a call to death. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. God's word will help you. That's why that's going to be the foundation for everything we do. That's our theology.
That's what we believe at Grace Baptist Church. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for these faithful people. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach your word tonight.